Uh, Today's sermon is called Salvation Through Grace. Now, uh, I'm going to say a couple riddles, all right? And uh, if you know the answer, I want you to just shout it out, all right? Just shout it out. Same thing in the chat. If you know the answer, just, just type it up, no problem, all right? First one, a man left home running. He ran and then turned left, ran the same distance and turned left again, ran the same distance and turned left for the third time. When he got home, there were two masked men. Who were they? Oh, no one knows, huh? All right, all right. The answer, the catcher and the umpire. Wa-bam! Huh? <laughs> you guys got that one? All right, not bad, huh? In your faces, right? Okay, never mind. Uh, second one. A man stands on one side of a river, his dog on the other. The man calls his dog, who immediately crosses the river without getting wet and without using a bridge or a boat. How did the dog do it? Huh? Bam, very good. It was frozen. The river was frozen. Well, bam, all right? <laughs> Last one. How can a man who shaves several times a day still have a long beard? Answer, he's a barber. Well, bam, huh? <laughs> all right, you guys, thank you for that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for that. I got a little too excited. Um, Look, the reason why I'm telling you this, right, and the reason why we went through these riddles are because riddles in general, they are made to help you think differently, right? They're, they're created to help you see the world in a way that you normally wouldn't. Riddles are meant to break your paradigm in a way. The reason we brought up riddles was because in this chapter, there is a riddle. And you could say that it is the most important riddle that you will ever come across because it has to do with the salvation of your soul. And the riddle is simply this. How do we gain eternal life in heaven? And this riddle, you see, in this chapter is so fought over that we see two specific answers that come from it. And yet one answer is completely and absolutely wrong, and the other answer is completely and absolutely true. See, the normal way to think about salvation and the normal way that we would think about gaining eternal life is salvation through works. And that makes sense because back then, you see, the normal way of life was the Jewish tradition. And the Jewish tradition tells you that salvation is earned, that you need to follow these laws, that you need to make sure that you are clean, that you need to make sure you eat certain foods, that you have to do these things in order to gain salvation. It mattered how much you followed the law. It mattered how much you read the Bible. It mattered how much you prayed. And so naturally, when people thought about Christianity, they thought the exact same way. And yet, what we see is that for Paul and Barnabas, for Peter and the apostles, they broke the paradigm. 
They forced people to think differently because Jesus was the one who first broke people's paradigm. And he showed us that the way to gain eternal life was not through your works. It was not through the things that you could do. It was simply through believing in him. Salvation is by faith alone, nothing else. So today, I want to just look at these two things. It's going to be a pretty simple sermon. First is to look at the wrong answer to the riddle. And that is that salvation is through your works. And second is the right answer, the true answer, the biblical answer. And it's that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Right? First is salvation through works. You see, church, this passage, it opens up with a debate. Now, what is this debate about? Verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. There were people who believed in Jesus Christ and called them Christians and called themselves Christians, but they were preaching that salvation was given to those who are circumcised. In other words, what they were conversely saying is that unless you are circumcised, you are not saved. What they're saying is unless you follow the law, you cannot gain eternal life. And so Paul and Barnabas, they hear about this. They realize that these people are preaching to other people and saying that they're Christians. And so Paul and Barnabas immediately confront them. And they say, that's not the gospel. That's not true. And yet, even though Paul and Barnabas speak to them, they do not get on the same page. And so what do they do? They go up to Jerusalem to meet with the elders and the apostles, to meet with the leaders of the early church, to make sure that everything is right, to make sure and see who is true. And so they go to that meeting, and they're sitting there, think of like a courtroom case almost. And the first group, they stand up, and they say, look, we believe that salvation is through your works. Verse 5, it says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. You see, the Pharisees are saying that in order to be saved, it was necessary to have more than just faith in Jesus Christ. They're saying that in order to be saved, you need to be circumcised, follow the law, and believe in Jesus Christ. Church, the reason why this is so dangerous is because it's a half-truth. Because these people, they believed in Jesus Christ. They believed that he died for them. They believed that he rose on the third day. They believed in the gospel. However, they also believed that they needed to do a little bit more work on top of that in order to gain salvation. And here's the main point, church. If you add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you have destroyed it altogether. That even if you add 1% of your own work, then the gospel that you believe in is not the gospel of the Bible. It is a gospel that you have created 
and it will not give you eternal life in heaven. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine you have a gallon of water, and it is like the freshest, it is the cleanest, it is the most clear water that you can imagine. It is like from the, think of like, where's the cleanest? It's from the majestic waterfalls of, of Great, Great Falls Park, right? It is from maybe the, the beautiful brown waters of the Potomac River, right? But either way, it is, it is perfect, right? It is so good, it is healthy. But let's say you add in one single drop of poison. What happens? It doesn't matter if it's only 1% poison. It doesn't matter if it's 99% water. It becomes poisoned water. There's nothing healthy or life-giving about it and in the end. In the same way, even if we believe that 99% of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, if we put in even 1% for ourselves, if we say that we have earned even a tiny percentage of that, the gospel that you believe in is poisoned. The gospel that you believe in is not the gospel of the Bible, and it will not give you life. Church, the Bible says that Jesus Christ has died for us completely. In Hebrews 12, it says that he is the author and finisher of our faith, that there is nothing more that we can do. That he initiated it, that he is working it out in our lives, and that he has completed it. It is done. And to try and put our righteousness in it, to try and put our own work into that salvation, would be to taint it. It would be to try and do what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And what we're trying to do is replace Jesus Christ as Lord. And we're trying to put ourselves in the middle. And when we try to put ourselves as Lord, our lives become meaningless. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I looked this up. There's a signed Tom Brady jersey that's selling for 36 thousand dollars right now i mean come on right like relax we get it let's say right let's say that you buy this jersey and you hang it up because you know it's, it's your pride and joy but after a couple years the ink it begins to, to fade and so you say okay well it's fading so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take it down i'm gonna get a pen and I'm going to trace those letters so that I can really see it, so that everyone can see that it's a signed jersey by Tom Brady. What happens then? You have made the jersey worthless. Church, the value of the gospel is not what we can add to it. The value of the gospel is that it's by and for and from Jesus Christ. That is all about Jesus. That's what's, value about, that's what's valuable about what we believe. That Jesus Christ is the author of it. That he is the finisher of it. That he was the one who did the work. 
The value of the gospel is not what we can bring into it. The value of Christianity is not the works that we are able to do for it. All of that is a byproduct. All of that is secondary. You have to realize that the primary factor for Christianity and the gospel is that it's by Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Don't try to redo the work that Jesus Christ has already done. Because this is what the Pharisees were trying to do. This is what that first group was trying to do. They thought that their works were good enough to save themselves. They thought that their works could make them holy. And church, do you realize that this is the very definition of legalism? You know, what is legalism? John Piper, he says it really simply. He says, legalism is the belief that God will accept you because of how well you keep the law. Now, I know right now some of you are thinking, okay, Pastor Danny, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Pharisee. I don't think I'm, I'm a super legalist. Like, I, I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm like these people here. Now, I know that for many of us, we can be disconnected from this and not really understand what legalism is, but I'm going to do my best to apply it to us. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just, I'm challenging you to, to listen to this and keep your heart open. And if this is you, to really repent and to turn to him. You see, Pharisees, they, they loved the law. But the reason that they loved the law was not because it drew them closer to God. It wasn't because it exposed their sin more. It wasn't because it helped them form a community. They loved the law because it helped them manage how holy they were. Because what Pharisees would do was that they would create this fence around them. They would create a fence of holiness around their lives where they said, look, as long as I stay within this circle, as long as I stay within these laws here that I, that I have, then I am accepted by God. And I know that the minute I step out of it, then man, I may be rejected, but as long as I stay in here, then I'm good. And that way I know that if anyone else who doesn't follow these laws they are rejected by God. But anyone else who does follow them, then we're in the same group, and we are accepted by God. And what happens for these people is that it creates a false type of theology because it says, look, how good do I have to be in order to stay within my fence and be accepted by God? This is how good I should be. Or it says, how bad can I be in order to still stay within my fence. How much can I do this? How much can I go here and still be accepted by God? And so you see, Pharisees, they loved the law, but not for the right reasons. They loved the law because it helped create this fence where they knew that they could stay within it and still be completely accepted and completely loved by God, and yet still give them the leeway to judge others and say, look, what you are doing is wrong. And that's why they hated Jesus. They hated him. We think that the Pharisees were people who were so strict about the law. Do you realize that of anyone 
Jesus was the most strict about the law. Because what Jesus did is he came in, and in Matthew 5 through 7, he gave this famous Sermon on the Mount. And he said that, look, there is these commandments, but you need to be going above and beyond them. He says, look, there's a commandment that says do not murder. But guess what? I tell you the truth, that if you have anger in your heart against a person, you've already committed murder. He says, look, there's a commandment that says do not commit adultery. But guess what? I tell you the truth, that if you look lustfully upon a woman, you have already committed adultery. And these Pharisees, they hated hearing that. Because what Jesus was doing was saying, look, those fences that you've built around yourself, I'm going to knock them down because they're not fences of holiness anymore because you have sinned. No one, no one is holy. That those commandments, that those rules, those are arbitrary because you are inherently sinful. These Pharisees, you see, they were sinful just like everyone else. And that is the true term, that is the true definition of legalism. And so church, I want to ask you, have you built your own fence of holiness? Have you ever thought to yourself, how good do I have to be? Or how bad can I be in order to still be accepted and loved by God? If this is you, man, you have to really come before the Lord. Repent to him because you have the wrong answer. Church, you are creating a gospel that is not the gospel of the Bible. And what will naturally happen to you is that when you look at others, you will care more about how sinful their actions are than their salvation with the Lord. What you will care more about is making sure that they stay within your realm of holiness than about their relationship with God. And that is a dangerous and terrible place to be. Church, have you built your own fence of holiness? The Pharisees, they were arguing for a salvation that was based on works because, you see, they were refusing to see their own sin. But after the Pharisees give their argument, Peter, he stands up and he speaks in support of Paul and Barnabas and he says just one thing, salvation is found through grace. Verse 10 and 11, it says this, Now therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Salvation by works means that you are following God in order to gain eternal life. Salvation by grace means that you are following God as a response to what God did in your life. It's a a very big, but very important distinction. Peter, he asked the, the Jewish people in verse 10, why are you placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 
what Peter's saying is, is, look, look at the Israelites. Look at how they were in the wilderness. God had performed the most, the, the greatest miracles in the history of the world. And yet it was only a short time after they were freed from Egypt that they began worshiping a golden calf. Do you realize that not one of us can perfectly keep the law? If they can't, then you can't, and no one can. And he says, look, don't put that yoke on people. And I love the parallel that he's putting here because in Matthew 11, Jesus talks about yokes. And he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus' yoke was light because he had already done the work. He had already finished what was already supposed to be finished. And we didn't need to carry our own burden. We need to do all of these things in order to gain salvation. For us, the yoke of Jesus is a yoke we voluntarily put on for all that he has done for us. You know, I remember a time when I went out to eat with a few friends. And during the meal, my friend, he saw someone that he remembered or that he was friends with. And so they ended up talking with each other for a couple minutes. He came back. We, we, you know, had the rest of the meal. It was a bunch of us, too. And after the meal, we were about to pay. And we found that the waiter told us that that person over there that was friends with my friend, he ended up paying for everybody. And I was shocked. I had no affiliation. I was not friends with the other person. I didn't even, he wasn't even an acquaintance. I, I didn't know him at all. It felt very undeserved. And so at night, I thought about it. I was like, do I have to pay this guy back? Do I, do I have to do something? Like, it just doesn't feel right. I wasn't, I, there's nothing that I could do for this other person. Just, I saw him for a second, and, and then he was gone. Church, I think we have to understand that salvation by grace means that we didn't do anything, anything to earn that salvation. It was done completely by the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the only question is, will you accept it? That is the beautiful gift of salvation. And I know that it seems too good to be true, but it is the truth of the Bible. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's it. Church, I want to just end with this one last riddle. If salvation is by grace alone, then are good works meaningless? Of course not. Of course not. Your good works are the fruit of your salvation. It is a testament. It is a marker to the world and to yourself and to the church that you are a Christian saved and filled by God. You have been given the greatest gift the most amazing gift in the history of the world that you have not earned. And so, of course, your response to that is going to be to love others and to care for others and to follow what God has said. Obedience is not mandatory, it's voluntary because of all that God has done for us. I'm not preaching here because I'm forced to. I'm not preaching here because it's something that I've I'm, I'm enslaved to, to preach, or if I don't, then I'm going to be fearful, whatever. No. 
It's the response to all that God has done for me. It's because I'm so thankful. It's because I remember over 10 years ago when God has saved my life, when God has encountered me in California and he changed my life forever, that for me a simple response was, I'm going to dedicate my life to you. That was it. And church, as we go through our lives, and as we think about serving and loving and, and reading the Bible and praying and doing all of these things, the question becomes, are you doing it as a response to what Jesus Christ did for you, or are you doing it in order to gain salvation? One is wrong. One will not lead you to eternal life in heaven, and yet one is right. One is true, and one is biblical. Church, which one do you believe? Okay, let's pray.